Okay, everyone, welcome to today's episode, episode 75. I'm going to be talking about decision-making, decision fatigue, um, the combination of if you have decision fatigue and perfectionism, impulse control, all that kind of stuff, including procrastination and all of that. So what I want to be talking about is why it's difficult to make decisions at certain times, what happens when that's going on, and also little kind of hacks that you can include into your life to improve your decision-making ability and to improve your impulse control. Because impulse control and decision-making is kind of the same thing. It's this decision to hold back or to cave in and do like to, you know, eat that thing that you were aiming not to eat or whatever. So also, in addition, I'm going to tie into how habits, rituals, routines can really, really play a massive role in this and how it can help you out. And yeah, I'll kind of delve into that whole habit routine thing in a little bit later in the podcast. So first things first, weekly update. Um, I actually just had my second vaccine today, so I'm really tentative on how I'm like, what I'm going to do for the next day or two, because last time it really like put me through the ringer. Um, only for like 24 hours, just over 24 hours. It really wasn't that bad, but I felt like I just had like a fucking flu. Um, so yeah. So I asked the lady if the same thing would happen. She's like, couldn't really tell you just brace yourself just in case, but most people on their second shot won't feel as bad as their first. So stay tuned for that. Uh, secondly, um, I think I'll just announce it to you guys right now because it's fucking exciting but I am actually currently I've just started writing my second book um not quite we're not fully decided on the title yet um and I, do you know what the fuck is wrong with me and don't get me wrong I'm excited about writing the book but this is so typical I was saying to myself I'm going to finish uni I'm going to take some time off I'm just going to chill um And yeah, before I knew it, I was signing the book deal while I was still at uni to fucking start writing a second book. But the good thing is I'm really excited about it. I've got all these ideas down. Not exactly sure about the title yet. That's not fully locked in. We're not going to release that yet, but it is going to be completely based around self-love. So good times. That is my weekly update. I've been like doing a whole bunch of writing, podcast planning, you know, just living my best life in this 28 degree weekend that we're having in Sydney during lockdown. Um, So enough of that shit. I'm going to go into my brain fact for the day. So this is more like a behavioral psychology fact that it's sort of thought it was interesting to talk about and I'll share with you guys. And it is called the halo effect. So what the halo effect is, and it's something that occurs almost all the time, is this idea that someone's attractiveness will then affect our perception of what we think about that person in all their other traits. Now, attractiveness is the main one. I'm going to explain how the halo effect works for other things as well. But for example, it's all these studies have been done, like I'm talking hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of studies where people perceive someone that is what they deem to be physically attractive to also be kinder, smarter, uh, more driven, more successful, um, more lovable. Okay. So like, this is something that's learned from an absolute very young age. And I think that it's, it's due to the fact that we absorb this as we grow up. We look at how other people are treated. We kind of, we come to conclusions. The brain loves to come to conclusions instead of having to work through every single decision that we make. And that's, that's a beneficial thing in most scenarios that the brain will kind of grab the information it's got and make a blanket conclusion. But 
you've got to really understand that there are times where it's really time efficient for the brain to do that. But then when you're interacting with people and big decisions and companies, that's when you need to put a pause and actually do the groundwork yourself and not just make all these presumptions. Uh, Another thing that happens with the halo effect is a study that was done with children and children that would be sitting down and better behaved were always marked as, you know, they got higher grades and things that were based around intellect. And it's because you know, children would perceive these students just because they sat down and, you know, didn't talk during class. They thought, oh, they must be nicer, they're politer, they're, you know, more respectful, therefore smarter, you know. So they just came to this conclusion where they obviously that's not the case. You know, you could be a little bit scat and distracted, but also be very intelligent. Um, And this really happens, I find, with dating apps. So I think I mentioned a few like it was last year somewhere in the podcast that I had tried a dating app for, I think it was like a total of 10 hours, seven of those hours I was asleep and I just hated it so much. And now like this is the exact title for it because I think I was applying the halo effect to absolutely everyone. It's quite a toxic trait and I don't like it. A dating app literally just gives you a handful of photos and a couple of sentences and you're making your opinion on that. So if you see one thing that stands out at you, you're probably going to have this blanket statement about what that person is like based on their appearance and a very, very small like insight into their appearance. So I found that I was so fucking shallow because of course I'm just like, mm, no, don't like, don't, don't, don't like, don't like, don't like. Whereas if I was out in the real world, I am no way near as judgmental when it comes to physical appearance and what I'm attracted to and what I'm not attracted to. Um, companies do this as well. They try. So if the halo effect is about see, seeing one characteristic that you like, and then it's a blanket statement, oh, I like everything about it. Then what a company does or a business or whatever is that they they will align themselves with a celebrity that is well-loved. So then people instantly think, oh, that celebrity, that brand name, it's linked together. That brand name must share all the traits of this celebrity. And that's how like influencer marketing has absolutely taken off. People just, you know, believing things about it because they see that person align with that brand and they kind of blend it all into one big kind of thing. Um, but it, I, I genuinely think, you know, the, the, the studies are a little bit Some studies are showing that it's kind of hardwired into us and a lot of other studies are showing that it's kind of learnt. And it's really hard to figure out because one thing that humans are hardwired to do is humans legitimately are born with this wiring towards quote-unquote beauty. It's something that most animals have. We have certain traits that we look for that our society deems attractive as far as the marketing world and all of that. And we will like chase that down and consider that to be hot. You know, birds do it, animals do it, everything. It's a part of the mating thing. It's whatever. But then it's almost like a vicious cycle because because this is hardwired into us and we have this bias towards, you know, beauty and, you know, that standard, then it's that filters through into you know, movies and characters for children where, you know, the hero of the film is this muscular, really fit, beautiful specimen and the villain, you know, they try and make the villain look scary or covered in scars or not muscular or not, you know, as fit or whatever. So that's kind of always, always filtered through culturally in films, TVs, movies, all of that. And so 
we then genuinely have this belief system with the halo effect that good looking people are probably good at everything else that they do in their life. It also does happen in a slight reverse as well, but it's nowhere near as detrimental as, you know, the, the one that I'm talking about where, where it's really hurtful to people that aren't conventionally beautiful by the standards of, you know, marketing today. But it also does work in reverse for people that are good looking where they're also considered to be narcissistic or up themselves but that's I don't think that's nowhere near as prominent as the halo effect that I was just talking about about them being good at everything now what you want to do with this is just be aware that you are inclined to do that to other people and just ask yourself does this one trait represent every trait in that person this also happens with toxic people, okay? There are certain people that are quite toxic that get away with murder because there are certain facets in their life where they're legitimately amazing people. So you look at this one trait in this person, for example, say they they do a shit ton for charity or they, you know, they go out of their way to do something or they're really, really skilled at something. So you look at that aspect of that person and you're like oh my god that's so impressive they're so caring they're so charitable they do so much for this population of people they do this they do that they have philanthropists whatever and then they're more toxic in other traits but you kind of let it slide you almost have a bias towards that one aspect where they're good and then you turn a blind eye to the other things where if you were to meet that person in the first place and see the the toxic dodgy side of them first you would probably be less inclined to think that they're that greater person, even if you saw all the good work they were doing behind the scenes. So often you see that in relationships, people would justify someone's behavior because they'll be like, oh, but they're really good at this. And they'll blanket everything about this person just because they're good at this one thing and not compartmentalize it and realize that I can't judge this person based on one facet or based on obviously their appearance that goes without saying but anyway I thought it was really interesting and that's all got to do with the halo effect so all we need to do well not all we need to do there's a lot that needs to be done as a society but it's kind of expanding on what is already starting to be done which is you know more diversity in in films in advertising in in what kids growing up are going to see it's if you have kids it's always talking about you know don't just look at something for face value and think that, yep, that's it. Use your analytical mind a little bit more. And talking about analytical mind, we're going to be going into that in a second when we get into the topic of today. So we all play a role in this. It's not good enough to just say to yourself, oh, we're just wired that way. Lol, that's just how it is. There's always work that can be done and there's always ways in which we can grow individually and as a society as well. Okay, so let's get into the actual topic of today, which is all about um, decision making. Okay. Now I'm going to be talking about decision making, impulse control, and also something called cognitive ease, which is kind of like our, our bias towards doing things that are easy when it comes to thinking thoughts. And it sounds like a no brainer, but I'll go into it a little bit more and it's going to explain a lot about a lot of different people. It's really fucking fascinating. But the main thing that I want to be doing also at the end of the episode is giving you actual tools and hacks to make better decisions. So you're way more productive. So you procrastinate less. And, you know, because these things get harder and harder, the more if if you can, if you are somebody that has issues making decisions and you're a perfectionist, you're fucked. You're essentially fucked. So you need to use tools to break down those barriers to do something about it. If you're not going to do anything about it, 
then you're literally just standing there not taking action in your life and you're just living every day the same as the day before, okay? So everything can be changed. You can always learn, rewire, do all of that, but you need to have some conscious action to make those changes. It's not good enough to think that your future self is going to want to do it if you don't want to do it right now. That's not how it works. If you don't want to do something right now, chances are your future self doesn't want to do it either because you can only predict future behavior on present behavior right now. So let's get into it. Decision-making. Everyone has kind of a quota of how much decision-making they have within the day, how many decisions you can make without it becoming such a chore or without you being really distracted or, or, or without it getting really difficult to make a relatively basic decision, okay? And we've all been there. We've had a really stressful day or, or a really busy day or it's banked up with a lot of shit that we've got to do and then it gets to the end of the night and you're trying to choose an outfit. You literally just sometimes stand in front of your wardrobe and you are just immobilized thinking, oh God, I can't, like I can't even think of something. The same goes for the end of the night when we're watching Netflix and this barrage of options that we've got and we literally cannot be satisfied with any of those options and we go back and forth, this indecisiveness, we just can't pick, okay? So with with your choices for dinner, it happens with everything, okay? But the more fatigued you are, Two things. One, the more fatigued you are, the harder it is to make a decision. And two, the more decisions you've made earlier in that day, the harder it is to make a decision later on in the day. There is an ex- uh, there is an exception for that. And that is if you're somebody that can break your day up with a massive rest and recreation in between. That kind of is a reboot. You have, you know, like a good meal. You kind of kickstart your brain again. Um, so you, you almost like add a little bit of fuel to that decision-making process. So if you're somebody that works early in the morning, then you've got time off in the middle of the day, recreation, rest, whatever, and then you're working later on in the night, then you kind of have that second wave. But if you're working throughout the day, chances are in general, your ability to make a decision goes down. Prime example of this is you look at those multi, multi, multi billionaires or millionaires who CEOs of companies and they always wear the same fucking shit every single day. Steve Jobs is like a prime example. He always wore the same thing every single day and he knew why. He says, it just cuts out a decision for myself. You know, this is a man that had to make so many decisions work-wise every single day. He had to be on the ball. So he was eliminating every decision that was unnecessary, that would eat into his decision-making quota for the day. Picking an outfit is one of them. And I can guarantee you, although I haven't done much research into it, I can guarantee you that someone like Steve Jobs probably had an epic routine in the morning. I can guarantee you that everything he did in that morning was to a T, like set out in his mind. So he never had to think about it. He would wake up and then it'd be bang, 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 and then do it. That's like a lot of really um, busy or successful people I was going to say CEOs, but just people in general really have honed in on their ability to eliminate the decisions that they have to make in the morning. So that way they can like get into their work and start making those decisions there. Now let's talk about impulse control. So I um, read or heard often recently on a test or like a study that was done on these two groups of people that were trying to put together a puzzle, but the puzzle was actually unsolvable. So what they were actually doing was timing how much, how long each group would spend attempting to problem solve this puzzle. And then at the same time, they were given food to eat and each, um, the food was right next to them, but one group could only eat the radish 
like little a bowl of radishes or whatever, and the other group could have chocolate chip cookies. Now, the group that had the radishes, they gave up a lot faster on the puzzle because on top of the fact that they were trying to solve this puzzle, they had the impulse control where they weren't allowed to eat the cookies. They could only have a radish. So, yeah, it shows this concept of when you're trying to control your impulses, then when you're trying to do decisions for other things, it gets a lot harder. I think a lot of people feel really, if someone's on a diet and they've not done it for ages and they're they're just starting this diet, they feel really stressed and burnt out and then everything just falls to the wayside. I think because at the end of the day, when it comes to that impulse control and you've done all these decisions throughout the day, you live a really busy life. It can feel a little bit overwhelming and it can feel like you're, you're going to fail and everything's just, you know, falling apart. That is actually pretty normal and it is normal to have really diminished ability to control your inhibitions um, when fatigue in decision making is up. So what do you do in this scenario? If you know that your impulse control is going to be down when your decision-making ability is like reached its quota, then you've got to put into practice certain boundaries or parameters for yourself. So whether that be, you know, I know that at nighttime I'm going to try and binge on food, but it's not so bad during the day. You know, you can change around your accessibility to these things. You know, one of my friends, when she gets, you know, fatigued or tired or or bored or it's the end of the day she'll resort to going back on the dating apps even though she has no actual real desire to be on the apps because the next day she was like well that sucks I didn't even like that and I'm annoyed I'll delete the app again so it's certain things you've got to start putting boundaries into place and identify what it is that you're going to cave on and when you're most likely to cave because for most people it is when they're fatigued and it is later on in the day okay unless you have an actual behavioral or chemical addiction, which is completely different because you're getting the cravings, you're going to notice that your impulse control is more affected when you are tired, which is likely to be in the evening. So what you want to be doing is you want to start to look at your day in general and think, where do I actually need my decision-making skills? For most people, it's going to be in their career, their passion project, their job, you know, that's for most people. It could also be, of course, if you are a parent as well and you are responsible for other human beings, okay? So you decide yourself, you look at your day and you think, where do I actually need to make decisions in the day on the moment, okay? Because a decision to go to the gym and train, if that's a habit, it's no longer a decision that you have to make. The decision was made once and then you just stick to it, if that makes sense, okay? I'm talking about where you are problem solving, where you're coming across things that, you know, occur in the day and you're working through it, okay? That is the the top tier decisions that we're talking about. And you need to grab a fucking piece of paper and start writing it down. What are the things that actually require proper top tier you know, focused decision-making. Okay. Now put that aside. Then everything else falls into things that you could probably, it's either easier to make the decision or it's something that you could make the decision once and turn it into a routine. One of the best things you can do for that is limit your options. Okay. When you go to a supermarket and, you know, someone says, oh, can you buy me peanut butter? And you go to the supermarket and you actually care about which peanut butter you're getting. Some supermarkets are going to have like, you know, 
10 different brands of peanut butter. I was in the, the US and they had, you know, like 30 brands of peanut butter. And I'm like, fuck, what? What? And then by the by the time I finished my grocery shopping, there's just so many different things. If you had if you were someone that didn't already have the brands that you liked and didn't know what you liked, it would take you hours to do your grocery shopping versus someone that's already got the decision in their head. I know the brand I like, I know what I'm doing, I'm not gonna get distracted. Bang, they get it done in 15 minutes. Okay. It's kind of that analogy for your life. And talking about the shopping list thing, it's actually very a very good idea. If you're somebody that struggles with impulse control, write a shopping list. If you go into a supermarket without a list, then you are the prime, prime victim for marketing, okay? This is where you cave and you buy like three times more than what you wanted to buy. You blow your budget out. You buy shit that you're then going to binge on later on. You're buying, instead of buying that one block of chocolate that you really like, you end up buying a whole array of shit that you're going to eat. You buy all this shit and then by the end of it you're like I don't think I can even make a meal out of the fucking shit that I bought because I haven't even planned it do you know what I mean so this ties into the impulse control prepare 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 have the fucking list and go in and think I'm not going to veer from this list or you can say to yourself I'm going to let myself veer from this list on two occasions if I'm really pulled to it like you might see a new product that you're like oh I have to try that go go ahead and try it but I'm saying like if you go in with nothing that's where you get that issue with impulse control when you're struggling to make decisions. The, the supermarket is the prime example of everything I've just spoken about so far. You want to start to limit the decisions that are available to you. There's two good things that happen. One, you obviously save time. You, you not just time, but you save into that like decision-making quota because there's less options. There's less back and forth of little decisions that you're making to come to the conclusion of whatever you ultimately choose. And two, you have less FOMO. You fear missing out on something less. When you have too many decisions or alternatively, when you give yourself too much time to make a decision, you then start going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. You give yourself too much time to to think about the cons of every option and too much time to think about the pros of every option. Whereas if you were to, and I've spoken about this before ages ago, I think this is on taking a leap of faith. I think podcast, I think, but there are, there's this, again, I'm going to refer to another study that was done where you look at groups of people. And um, I think there were two groups and they were given the option of taking money or a holiday. Okay. One group had a couple of hours to decide and the other group had seven days to decide something like that. Or they had days versus hours to make this decision. Do you want X amount of money or do you want the holiday? The group that took a week to decide what they wanted, 70 something percent, it was around 70 something percent of them were unsatisfied with their choice. Okay. They regretted the decision they made. The group that had only a couple of hours to decide, 90 something percent of them were happy with their choice because they weren't pondering all the potential pros and cons. They weren't, when you think too much of the other alternative or the other millions of alternatives, you start to think, oh, you start imagining yourself having all these things. And then you start worrying about what you're going to miss out. It's fear-based. It's, I'm not going to have this now. When you just commit to the cause and, and bite the bullet and make the decision, you're way more likely to be happy with that decision. The same goes for when you're doing a big, uh, a big change in your life. You're always better off severing, you know, like, well, I wouldn't say severing ties, but closing a chapter 
before you open another chapter. Because if you've got one foot in the door here, one foot in the door there, then you're going to feel emotionally pulled in both directions because you're going to feel like, oh, I'm sad to leave. I feel bad. I feel guilty or I feel, you know, whatever. FOMO, I'm going to miss out on this. And then you're thinking, oh, but I really want this opportunity. I'd love to be there. And you're then fucking yourself over because then by that point, if you spent so much time deciding, by the time you make the decision, you've almost in your head made yourself fearful of not having the other thing. Okay. So when you look at your day, and I'm going to start talking about habits and rituals now, when you look at your day, I want you to start looking at your week in advance. I personally, every Sunday afternoon, whenever possible, within reason, I like to sit down in the afternoon and I actually love it. I really enjoy it. I look forward to doing it. I feel really calm and settled when I do this. So make it something that you actually enjoy and not a chore. But I sit down on a Sunday afternoon or evening and I plan my week out. Okay. So I don't have a a nine to five job where I'm going into an office and I find that my work, while I've got so much on, it also lends itself, it's easy for me to not do the work on that day because I can do it tomorrow. I can do it another day. I could, if someone invites me out for lunch, you know, God forbid when we're not in lockdown, if someone invites me out to do this or do that or, you know, a mid-morning walk and a mid, and I'm just a fucking social butterfly. And so I'm very, very, if I don't plan my week, I can be very easily tempted. My temptation comes with social like meeting someone, meeting a friend. I'm so tempted to do that. And if I haven't planned my, my week out, I cave all the time. So I, I, it's really easy for me to procrastinate because I'm not going into an office where I have to be there and I have to do the work. I do it all from home. So I like to sit down on the Sunday and think, okay, I've got to do X amount of podcasts. I've got to do X amount of words towards the book. I've got to do all this other shit that I'm doing. Okay. And so I plan it out. Like, For example, this week, what I'm going to be doing is I want to be writing 1,000 words a day towards the book. And that needs to be done pretty early in the morning because that's quite a creative thing that I'm doing. There's a lot of like decision that goes behind that. There's a lot of thought processes that go behind that. So I try and make the book writing early in the morning. Then straight after that, I like to factor in around 30 minutes a day towards podcast planning. Okay. That's not even recording the podcast. That's sitting down and brainstorming ideas for the podcast, whether it's the science facts, whether it's a topic that I'm interested in. Sometimes I'll sit down and I'll have a whole like word documents of all these notes that are for, you know, 20 potential episodes, but I just sit down and it's like word vomit. I just get it all out on the page for 30 minutes until something starts to like, until I start to flesh things out. But pretty much what I'm saying is that I I will factor in a timetable for myself where that's blocked out, that's blocked out, that's blocked out. So that way I'm not thinking, oh, what am I doing today? I could be this, it could be that. And by the end of the week, I'm like, fuck, I've got to write 7,000 words of the quota that I had set out for myself to do. So try this for yourself on a Sunday. I mean, you can do it any day, but I like to do it on a Sunday. Sit down and compartmentalize compartmentalize your life. Study, work, you know, gym, eating, social, whatever. And factor it all in. If you've already got social things set out, write it in the diary. Have it all written down. I like to have a paper diary. I love writing shit down in a paper diary. I love writing lists and crossing it out. It's so satisfying. So I write that all down. So you've got that. Then you want to think, what can I automate? Just like 
you can do with so many things in your life or just like companies get people to do things for you, you're getting your subconscious mind to do something for you. It's like you're outsourcing things that your conscious mind could be doing and you're outsourcing it to your subconscious mind. And the way you outsource is by turning something into a ritual, okay, where it becomes so ingrained in you that the thought of not doing it feels weird that if you were to not do it one morning, you would slightly feel a bit off. You would miss it because it's just so ingrained in you. It takes no thought process to do it. It actually takes more to not do it. Okay. Here's another example for me. When I didn't have my mornings kind of set out in a set routine, I would wake up stuff around for so long doing shit that I'm not putting all my attention into, have my active wear on, but because I'm so distracted, I'm on the apps, I'm on whatever, then it takes me too long to actually get that inertia to go and work out. So then I think, oh, it's too late in the morning. I'll just do it later on in the day and I'll stay here and I'll do the stuff that I want to do. But then do I actually go and do it later on in the day? The later the day gets, the less and less likely it is for me to go and train. Okay. So that's for me what I had to do. I had to change my morning routine where I wouldn't put any conscious effort or attention into anything in the morning other than what my ritual was, where it's not conscious thinking. That's what my subconscious mind is doing. I smash out my half hour ritual and I'm out the door. I am out the door, whether I like it or not, I lock the door and I'm outside. And then my day starts. I do the exercise, I come back and then I get in the zone. So that's what I've set out for myself and it really works for me. But find something that works for you. My biggest my biggest piece of advice for you would be how much of your daily tasks can you turn into a set routine that it becomes a ritual that you don't even have to think about. Like I said earlier on in the podcast, all these, well, most of these really successful people have put into place hectic routines that are full on rituals to the extent that it even bleeds into their wardrobe choice. They don't want to think about that shit. They've got other bigger, more important things to think about. And I'm not telling you to go and wear like, you know, New Balance trainers, jeans and a black skivvy every day. But, you know, if if fashion something you truly enjoy, get creative there. But what are ways, what are sections in your day where you can be less creative and it doesn't affect you? There, I know some people that they can eat the same shit day in, day out, Monday to Friday, and they love it. It's fine. And then there's some people that need variety in their food, but they can have, you know, you know, consistency and be exactly the same in other areas of your life. So ask yourself, where do I not need variety and how is that going to save me time? How can I turn my mornings into a legitimate ritual where not only do I do the same things every morning, but I do it in the exact same order and it takes me the exact same amount of time. So I now know once I've kind of fleshed that out and worked it out, I now know my mornings take me, let's say 30 minutes before I walk out and I'm training. And by then I've already you know, had my coffee, I've meditated, I've, you know, had a shower, I've gotten dressed and I'm out the door, whatever. You make those decisions, but it's got to be something that can be easily replicated day in and day out. Now, while rituals are super important for you, keep in mind that you don't want to make this ritual like a three-hour event because it's probably going to be exhausting and, and for you to actually do it every day until it becomes a ritual might become more of a mission. So my advice to somebody that doesn't already have one in place is to start small, start with like a 30 minute kind of thing every morning. And then if you want, expand on that. Routine and monotony is essential for us. Okay. And ironically, the more 
routines and rituals you can put into place, like habits that you can put into place in your life, the more adventurous you can be as a person. It sounds counterintuitive, but that is the truth. And the reason is because if you spend all your time wasted making these menial decisions here and there, here and there, here and there, you never get to put your time and energy into those bigger ideas that allow for adventure, that allow for excitement, that allow for crazy growth that takes you to the other side of the world, that takes you here, that takes you there. So if you are innately an adventurous person, you of all people should have routines, habits, and rituals into place. The the brain craves adventure, but in order to be adventurous, it also needs stability. Okay. Every human being needs stability and we all find it in different areas of our life. Some people find it in their relationship. Some people find it being a homebody and they just don't really enjoy traveling. They love living in the same home forever. Okay. They, or they, the same community. Some people like myself finds it in their habits and rituals. Okay. But you need to have stability and you pick where, if you had no stability in your life, you would feel that you have no control. The brain loves to feel like it's got some level of control. And when you feel that you are in control of your life in certain areas, you are then more, you are that you approach things where you don't have control with more ease. You want to feel grounded. Okay. And your version of grounded can be can be whatever you make it. You create what that is. But what I would recommend for you is to make the things that ground you things that are in your mind, things that you can create for yourself in your brain. Okay. It's very, very helpful and beneficial and healthy to be grounded in your relationships and grounded, you know, with your partner. But at the same time, there's only so much grounding you can have when it includes another person, okay? So, of course, it's beneficial. Human relationships are crucial for our happiness, yes, but how much stability can you control where it only involves you? And that's where you have the most power, the most autonomy, and the most control when it involves you. If all your stability came from your romantic partner and they dump you, you're going to feel like you have absolutely no control over your life situation and you're going to feel quite scattered and probably very depressed, okay? So create these Moments in your day where you build the control, where you think I have total control of my mind and of my routine, and I have got my brain down to a, it's a well-oiled machine that I know that when I do this, it's bang, 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 and I've smashed it out. And now all my conscious effort can be dedicated to the things that truly bring me joy, like growth, like excitement, like professional achievements, like uh, studying, getting your degree, whatever it is, okay? That's what I want you to focus on. So when it comes to how do we decide, how do we make decisions more efficiently? You want to think about less options, give yourself less options, less time to make those decisions. Unless you're thinking about a huge life altering decision, like are you going to have children or are you going to move countries? Of course, that needs more time and more effort to think about it. But in everyday decisions, you want to give yourself less time and you want more habits and more routines. Another thing that happens when you get that that um, decision fatigue is that you then start to generalize and you have a general opinion over things. You're less likely to be able to have like to think about something critically. Now, this can happen when you're looking at 
a product. It can happen when you're looking at another person or a population of people where you just make these blanket statements and you generalize. But it also happens when you're thinking about yourself a situation that you're in and your own abilities. If you're fatigued and you're not going to have any critical thinking and you're not going to intercept with conscious thoughts and problem solving, you're more likely to think you just generalize. Oh, I'm not good at that. I'm just not going to do it. Oh, there's that. You just, you, you resign yourself to, to paint something with a universal statement. For example, I always fail at that. So I'm not going to try. I always this, so I'm not going to try. It's very heavily linked. The, the better your decision-making ability, the better your critical thinking is going to be, and the less you're going to generalize on situations that have to do with you, that have to do with other people, that have to do with opportunities that are available, okay? if, If an opportunity comes up and you're already fatigued and you don't have that, that, that impulse control or critical thinking or all of that, you might look at that opportunity as like, oh, it'd be good for someone else. I can't, I this, I that, I can't, I can't, I can't, I don't have the ability. However, if you're someone that did everything that I just told you to do, an opportunity could come up and you're like, I feel like I could take that on. I feel like I've got the capacity right now in my conscious abilities to give that a red hot go. Okay. And this is where you can use your impulsivity for the good. You don't want to have that impulsiveness for for things where you can't control your cravings or you can't control the fact that you you know can't get something done for the day so you end up just scrolling through Instagram or Netflix or whatever this kind of impulse is better it's like when when the that intuitive nudge from within is there you jump and take it you don't pause and think no I can't I can't I can't and then the opportunity is just left you and then when the next opportunity comes by are you going to react the same way or are you going to grab it by the horns that all comes down to your ability to make decisions efficiently it sounds so basic but it it infiltrates almost every area of your life. Now, the last thing that I want to touch on is slightly different, but of course it ties into it, but it's a different topic. And it's something called cognitive ease. And what cognitive ease is, it's our inclination, the brain's inclination to always choose the easier decision, to always choose the easier topic, to always choose the easier belief, okay? So if you have seen an ad come up a million times for something, you're probably automatically going to choose that product over another product just because you've seen it more and it's the easier option. You don't have to research the other product. You've seen this a lot, so you just presume it's the better product, okay? The same thing goes for if you've done something a certain way, always, whether it's beneficial to you or whether it's not, it's easier to choose that way than it is to choose a novel way of doing something, okay? We always fall into this trap because the brain or our our mind, not, well, I wouldn't say the brain, but our mind is inclined to be lazy in its thought patterns, okay? It's inclined to want to think less, to do less critical thinking. And so it's not to change that doesn't happen automatically. You have to make a decision to be a more critical thinker. This also happens when you just decide to agree with people because there's a population of people that are saying a certain thing and you're like, oh, I'm going to agree with them. Or there could be a smaller population that's claiming something and you identify with that population. So you choose to believe it. People that, and, and he's a good, a good example of someone like that in an extreme scenario, someone who's always a lazy thinker and always is uh, like always 
has that cognitive ease. And on top of that, someone who struggles to make decisions for themselves is a prime candidate for cults, for multi-level marketing, for uh, pyramid schemes, for those like weird religious culty things saying, we've got, you're lacking that. We've got this. We've got everything. We've got everything that you need, everything that you wanted. It's right here. Look at it. It's perfect. It's like the the missing piece of, of the puzzle for your life. So these people think, well, that's the easy option. I'm going to go down that rabbit hole because there's all these people that are saying that they were lacking what I'm lacking and now they're here and now they've gotten all of that. And that's a really, it's, it's a, it's a trap that is used in, you know, those MLMs and pyramid schemes and whatever, but also the, the, those culty groups that people get into. They're going to target people like that. They're going to target people that might be actually quite intelligent. It's got nothing to do with your intelligence, but it's someone who's more likely to take the easy decision, who's not going to use their critical thinking. And it's a lot easier to use your critical thinking when you have more of that decision quota in your day. If you're scattered all day long and you're not very um, efficient with your decision-making, you're more likely to be someone that kind of falls into that cognitive ease thing and is a victim to their own cognitive ease and becomes a lazy thinker, okay? And you see it all the time. You see it right now with what's happening with COVID and the vaccines. There's so many people that will just go on a rant about something that they've never studied. They've never gone to the ins and outs of trying to figure something out. And they're like, no. No, I agree because all these people said that it, they don't agree so, and, and that sounds like a good idea. So I, I, I agree with them and I disagree with you. And they're happy to try and debunk someone that's got scientific backing, years and years of study, um, cited articles with actual you know, studies that were done because for them it's a lot easier to be like, oh, well, these people say it is than to actually go themselves and like read up on it learn how to read a fucking journal article, learn how to understand the references that are referenced and learn how to read those references. That's a fucking lot of effort. Someone that doesn't want to do that is just going to side with someone who's just got a really big mouth who rattles things off and sounds legit, whether they are legit or not. Okay. I'm not saying, you know, it's right or it's wrong or whatever, whatever you're saying, but it is your duty. When you have an opinion on something, it is your duty to learn as much as possible and back it up with actual facts. Okay. And a lot of people, when you argue with them are really almost impossible to argue with because they are of the category of lazy thinkers. They're just going to generalize. They're going to grab one thing and throw it in your face because they can't be fucked doing all the background work and all the research and all the critical thinking. Okay. So that's what this whole cognitive ease thing is. We are inclined to do that. And we all do it at some level. I'm not saying that there's people that are perfect that never do it. And everyone does it to some extent, but some people do it way more than others. And we probably all know people like that in our lives. Like it's almost impossible to argue with them because they don't even want to look at the facts because it's too much cognitive effort to go down the proper facts that like to be a good critical thinker is someone who, for example, when you Google something, this this is a good way of understanding how much you fall into cognitive ease or not. When you want to find information about something that you're trying to argue, for example, I actually saw this on a post in a neuroscience group that I'm a part of. The, someone posted an article on how MDMA can be beneficial to treat um, a lot of neurological disorders and mood disorders like PTSD and um, depression and things like that. So there were people that were saying, okay, this really works for depression. And then there were other people saying, 
No, it absolutely doesn't work for depression. You're going to become an addict. You're going to this, you're going to that. And you look at what people are looking up. And when you Google something, for example, let's use is MDMA a good treatment for depression? Pay attention to what questions you ask in the first place. Somebody who genuinely wants to get down to the truth or get as close to the truth as possible is going to Google benefits of MDMA for depression and downside of MDMA for depression. And you compare the information that's out there. And based on that, you have as close to an informed opinion as possible. Somebody who has this bias and slips into cognitive ease is only going to Google things that are going to confirm their bias. So if you're saying that, no, it absolutely doesn't work, you're only going to Google things that say MDMA is always detrimental for your health why mdma cannot be treated for cannot be used as a treatment for depression why they, and you're never going to google the the alternative so all the articles that come up for you are going to be articles that support your bias okay so really pay attention when you yourself want to google something become a better critical thinker as well you want to google it from both but from both sides and i started doing that um, in my masters, because that's what they were making us do. They make you, you know, argue a paper and then write a second paper arguing the opposite. Okay, so I started getting a lot better at doing that, and and I noticed so many cracks in my arguments, in the, you know, in the past and even to this day. I, there's so much room for improvement, but I noticed that you, it's so biased and so skewed when you only look at one side. The same thing goes even when, let's take scientific papers out of the equation. The same thing goes when you're arguing something that's completely not scientific with a friend or with a family member. If you only look at the things, the whole confirmation bias, there's a whole podcast on it that I've done a few weeks or maybe two or three months ago. When you do that, you fall into the lazy thinker cognitive ease category. Okay. And I know, like I said, it's slightly relevant to what I was talking about decision-making, but it is important to know that because you become a better critical thinker when you have better decision-making abilities, okay? So it is really interesting. If you combine all those, you become obviously better at coming to a conclusion for yourself. Um, It makes it easier to come to an informed decision about something. If you can be a critical thinker, you can actually come to, if you have a big decision that you've got to make, you can use that skill of critical thinking to get a better idea of what your answer is going to be. Um, and then of course you, you can be a lot more streamlined with your decision-making process with every hack that I've just given you in the podcast as well. So hopefully this has been truly beneficial. Hopefully it helps you make these decisions in your life a lot faster. You procrastinate a lot less and you also understand the mechanisms of action that's going on for you. That's causing you to behave that the, the way that you're behaving. But the biggest piece of advice that I can give you today is you want to be outsourcing as much as your conscious ability to your subconscious mind. Turn it into a habit and then it's no effort. You actually just want to do it. Your body automatically goes into that mode and does it. Okay. When it, when it comes to, should I do it now? Should I do it later? Should I do this? Should I do that? Always say to yourself, where is the proof that my future self wants to do this if there's no proof right now that my current self wants to do this, okay? Um, when, For example, if it's winter and you're in a hot shower and you're really enjoying that hot shower and you think, oh, I'll just wait longer, I'll just wait longer, I'll just wait longer, and you've got shit to do, ask yourself in that moment, at what point am I going to want to get out of the shower? Never. It's never going to be a good time to get out of the shower. I could stay here for hours. So just fucking get out of the shower. And you can use that mentality for 
almost everything that you're doing. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Um, love my being so much. Please, as always, keep sharing the podcast. You guys are doing amazing work for me by sharing it, taking screenshots of the podcast, putting it up on your Instagram. I love it when you guys tag me in it and I see that you're listening to it on your walk or when you're just relaxing at home or whatever. That just literally keeps me young. It makes my day. I love it so much. So I appreciate you guys for doing that. As always, guys, be kind to yourselves. Be kind to your brains. Don't take shit from anyone and especially don't take shit from yourself. Danke.